I got a war boy running on empty. Hook up that full life. Welcome to the Mad Max Minute. Despite all our rage, we are still just rats in a cage watching Mad Max Fury Road one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 12, which begins with Max starring in his own version of an SPCA commercial, and it ends with Furiosa having the audacity to turn left. <laughs> Rounding out the week with us are two Blue Flame specials who would never miss the 50-year storm, Myrn Kennedy and Jessa Lowe from Point Break Minute. Oh, uh, we got our donuts and our skinless chicken here, and we're ready to go. I take the skin off chicken, sir. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Utah. <laughs> Definitely. One hundred percent. Okay. <laughs> so, as I mentioned at the end of Wednesday's minute, we're gonna start off with Max, and he's sitting in this cage. And we recently, Julia and I, watched. 2008's Bronson, starring oh, Tom Hardy. Love it. Yes, we did. Yeah, that is a movie where Tom Hardy spends a lot of time locked up and caged. And you could argue that while this cage is smaller than many of the cages he's in in that movie, it's also larger than the final shot of that movie. Because I think the last time we see him in a cage, it's in like an extremely small one. Yeah. Just so, the size of his body, pretty yeah. much. So Tom Hardy is no stranger to being locked up. Yeah. Spoiler alert. In movies. He doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> if you have the opportunity to go out and watch Bronson, oh, it's an interesting experience because mm -hmm. it is a dramatized biopic. Like, Charlie Bronson is a real guy. Yeah. And he's still alive. And the movie is not an exact recounting of his life. There are details that are omitted from the real guy there are also dramatizations of exactly how things went there's a weird framing narrative of a stage show that they do it's not an informative experience but it is an incredible performance yes yeah i think it's tom hardy's best performance honestly i haven't seen tom hardy in a lot of things i think maybe bronson was only the third thing i've seen him in and out of the three i think it's the best performance it's the most he's gotten to do. He gets to have such a range in that movie. You do it like the stage show bits where he gets to like so good. do this like wild, like oh exaggerated characterization. And then like the, you know, the boxing and like the, so the scene where he strips down naked and the, the guy oil him up. Yes. It's just he gets to go full, full hardy. Um, and in a lot of other movies, he's a little more, <laughs> you know, they put him in a mask and then he uh, he has to sort of just do a lot with a little, which is great, too. Yeah, Tom Hardy is so good at doing a lot with a little. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This movie being a great case in point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, there's not a lot of dialogue. A lot of it is face acting, mm -hmm. and he's really good at it. Mm -hmm. And grunting. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's a grunty actor. Grunty McGrunterson, I feel like. <laughs> Fair warning for people running out to watch on our recommendation. If you're uncomfortable with full frontal male nudity, then... This might not be the best recommendation for you. Obviously here, 
he doesn't quite have as much hair as he did at the beginning of the movie when they captured him because they cut most of it off, but he still does have more hair than he did in Bronson. So that's yes. another big difference between there and here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I learned an interesting thing about the organic mechanics hair, which you guys might already know. Because I'm obsessed with hair and makeup, I went down a rabbit hole of Makeup Artists magazine and looking at an interview of the head, makeup department head for Mad Max. And you may know this, but the lore reason why his head is so patchy is because he uses his hair to stitch up his patients. Mm-hmm. And then... The makeup artist reason why it's patchy, too, is because Angus Sampson, is that his name? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah, he he's such a fan of the series that he was like, just do whatever to me. Um, <laughs> I told which, the makeup person, just like, do hair yeah. and makeup, just like, yeah, do whatever you want. I don't which, care. Just as <laughs> somebody who does hair and makeup for actors is like the most amazing thing ever to hear somebody say that to you because everybody's like, make me look pretty. So she just like took the clippers and was like to his head and like making like weird cuts here and there. And then she's like, you want to try to him? And (laughs) so, yeah, I just thought that was that was an awesome little little side bit on the organic mechanic. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Speaking of him, we caught sight of him in the tattooing scene itself. But this is the first time we get to hear him speak where he's talking about how he's got a war boy running on empty. And how his assistants need to hook up that full life. <laughs> mm-hmm. We might as well get to know him. The Organic Mechanic is played, as you mentioned, by Angus Sampson. He was born February 12th, 1979 in Sydney, New South Wales, Australia. IMDb says that he is best known for his role here in Mad Max Free Road. He was in a season of Fargo in 2015 so on FX. Mm-hmm. He played Bear Gerhardt. Oh, yeah. So good. We've seen that. He was also in 2018's Winchester, which was the Helen Mirren movie about the rifle wife who built the crazy house because of ghosts. Okay. Mm -hmm. And then he also played Tucker in a number of Insidious movies. Ah. With the first one being in 2010. And then there were other Insidious sequels where he came back to play the same character of Tucker. I haven't seen any of them. I'm not... I don't remember yeah. him in them. I've seen them. But yeah, those are, uh, those are the James Wan. Yep. And uh, he's an Australian boy, too. His acting career kicked off in 1996 on the show Recovery, which is a youth music show. <laughs> and since then, he has racked up 60 acting credits on IMDb. A few notable entries include his role as Father in a short <laughs> entitled There's a Hippopotamus on Our Roof Eating Cake. And that's from 2011. <laughs> Okay. Uh, he also lent his voice to the character of Jut in Legends of the Guardians, The Owls of Gahul in oh, 2010. Wonderful. I consider those notable only because their names are absolutely ridiculous. Yeah. I would say so. I think it was, you must have been going for the role of Hippopotamus, but then there's like, well, we already got, maybe they got Nathan Jones to play Hippopotamus. He's bigger. <laughs> like, well, we can get, you can play the father. Well, he's absolutely incredible in uh, Fargo. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's wonderful yeah. in it. He play, yeah, he plays like a one of the um, three, like uh, sort of mafia brothers yeah. in the Midwest, Kansas City mafia. Mm. Yeah. So aside from acting, Sampson is also a writer, director, and producer. In 2014, he wrote, directed, and starred in the crime comedy slash drama called The Mule, which is not the movie. <gasps> okay. Starring <laughs> Clint Eastwood. Clint Eastwood. Okay. Not the same one. Different movie. Different movie altogether because. The Clint Eastwood one is going to come out or has come out. Yeah, it's new. I think it, it's out. I think yeah, it has it's, come it's out. It's fairly new. Yeah. 
I think it came out officially in 2018, but I haven't seen it yet, and I don't remember seeing it on the marquee. But anyway, how often do I go see movies? Anyway, that movie tells the story of a first-time drug mule who gets captured by law enforcement, and then he's shoved in a motel room and becomes caught between the cops on one side and the mob on the other. And of course, because it's an Australian feature, Hugo Weaving is in it, because the man can't help himself. (laughs) He also wrote and directed a short documentary called It's Him, Terry Lim in 2011. And in 2009, he made a short called The Last Supper about the eponymous event, but it's set 10 minutes before Jesus arrives. So it's just the 12 (laughs) apostles hanging out. Oh, interesting. Oh, that's cool. But it's like raucous. They're like acting like a bunch of bros. Yeah. Type of thing. That's pretty fun. And he plays Judas. Mm. Oh. Yeah. Okay. Because I guess Judas is the most interesting character. I don't know. It's either that or well, Thomas, but Thomas yeah. is just, he just doubts. And that's yeah, not Thomas that interesting. Thomas doesn't get interesting until after the Easter story. And that's later, yeah. 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 Angus Sampson's trivia section on IMDb says that in 2007, he was named one of the sexiest 27 people by Who Weekly magazine. Who? Sorry. The sexiest 27. Okay. Yeah. So Who Weekly magazine put out the sexiest 27 people in the year 2007. And he was one of them. Okay, that's weird. I mean, 27? Yeah. Okay. Why 27? (laughs) Yeah. And why him? And why him? Uh, Yeah. Folks were up in arms when People Magazine named Blake Shelton as the sexiest man alive one year. And if they had known (laughs) that Who Magazine said that Angus (laughs) Sampson was one of the 27 sexiest people in the world, they probably would have flipped their lid. I need to see a picture of him not as the organic mechanic, like just as a normal person. (laughs) What's his last name again? Angus Sampson, S-A-M-P-S-O-N. It's not an improvement. He's just a normal guy. It's not that he's unattractive. He's just normal. Mm -hmm. Like in the trailer for the mule that I watched, he's schlubby. Yeah, like like most people in the world are schlubby. He looks like the kind of guy that would get a kilo of drugs put up his butt, you know? Yeah. I don't know. There are plenty of ways to measure attractiveness. So maybe Who magazine measures it in a different way. I mean, after seeing him in Fargo, he plays a man named Bear, who's kind of the strong, silent enforcer. I, I could get it, but not really. Yeah, maybe it's like an alternate set of parameters from the, the People magazine. You know, They're like, well, People's doing their thing. Things are different in Australia. <laughs> things are things are very different in Australia. That's true. You said, you said it. Yeah, but Australia also has every Hemsworth. Including Larry Hemsworth. Including Larry Hemsworth, yes. Yeah. So there's a range of Hemsworths. Yeah. You know, it goes, I don't know, Liam or Chris. Other one. There, and then there's, uh, there's Luke, who's like a step below that. And there's and Larry, Larry, who is another, he's just a normal he's, guy. He's a dentist. <laughs> he's a, he's a well, now I gotta look him up. Yeah, oh, yeah, this is a real person. We're not just, like, making up Hemsworths. This is the forgotten Hemsworth. Getting back into the minute proper, though. Oh, yes. The organic mechanic has mentioned hooking up this full life to one of his war boys who's running on empty. And he goes on to say, be careful, that's a universal donor. Because they open the bottom of the cage, and Max is obstinate. He braces himself against each side of the cage and he has to be shocked in order to fall out the cage. I just did some backup research just so we don't get tweets. Larry Hemsworth's not real. Oh, really? Sorry to break your heart, Jessa. That was a joke. Wait, 
Why did I think he was real? It was a joke, I think. It was like oh. a joke. <laughs> okay, because I looked up Larry Hemsworth, and there are no pictures of any more Hemsworths than the three. Oh. And okay. Luke Hemsworth is really short. It's, so a, it's, a, joke, Luke, it's Luke, a joke from The Good Place. Okay. So Luke is officially the new Larry, then. Luke is basically Larry Hemsworth. Yeah. He's like, he's a lot shorter than his other two brothers, and he's also older. Yeah. And he's less successful. Sorry, Luke. He's on, he's, on West, he's on Westworld. That's pretty cool. You know, he's on HBO. Yeah. I'd be happy to be on HBO. Yeah. Going back to the idea of a universal donor, though, because that's where I was going next. In the Vsauce video that I mentioned on Monday, they talk about the idea of them utilizing blood bags like Max. And the way they explain it is that these war boys are most likely suffering from leukemia or oh. blood cancer, basically. I thought leukemia was bone cancer. Well, it's, it's a cancer of the marrow. The marrow that produces the blood. Okay. I looked up an explanation of what leukemia is on WebMD. That way I wouldn't have to try and regurgitate it. I could just read what they have. And they say it's a cancer of your blood cells caused by a rise in the number of white blood cells in your body. They crowd out the red blood cells and the platelets. Your body needs to be healthy. And all of those extra white blood cells, they don't work right. And that also causes trouble. So your system gets choked out by the wrong type of blood. So there's no red blood cell to move oxygen. There's no platelet to stop bleeding. And the white blood cells that are crowding out the other ones don't fight infection. So all of the things that blood is supposed to do, leukemia blood does not do. So mm -hmm. the article continues, every day billions of new blood cells are made in the bone marrow, most of them red. But when you have leukemia, your body makes more white cells than it needs. These leukemia cells can't fight the infection the normal way that white blood cells do. And because there are so many of them, they start to affect the way your major organs work. Eventually, there aren't enough red blood cells to supply oxygen, enough platelets to clot the blood, or enough normal white blood cells to fight infection. Along with infection, this can also cause problems like anemia, bruising, and bleeding. Mm. So the Vsauce video explains the problem with hooking up someone to a donor like this is that you're not getting exactly what you need. Like, yes, you are getting clean blood, but it's not curing the root of the issue. You're getting mm. that person's platelets and red blood cells and white blood cells, and it's just mixing it together. And sure, you can be a universal donor, but just because your blood type is compatible with everybody, it doesn't necessarily mean that the plasma surrounding your blood cells is compatible with everybody. So if you're a universal donor donating to someone who your plasma is not compatible with, it can cause a whole other crop of problems, including jaundice, sepsis, muscle aches, breathing difficulty, circulatory overload, and paranoia. So wow. while hooking up a blood bag to a leukemia-suffering war boy will, in the short term, keep them running... It's not going to cure them. Like, they would need chemotherapy for that. Yeah, I mean, it's cancer. If they have, theoretically have leukemia, I mean, that's, with all our medical science now, it's pretty tough to get over that. So I imagine they're, you know, the organic mechanic is not concerned with curing so much as just getting them ready to go. Mm -hmm. He's called the mechanic. He's not called, like, the doctor. <laughs> He gets them ready to go as if they're machines. Yeah. So they're ready to fight. And if they fight and die, shiny and chrome, you go to Valhalla. There's something to be said for having an entire army made up of comma crazy war boys that want to die spectacularly in battle for your glory. 
And you because they're already unwell, that makes them expendable. Yeah, you don't have to worry about pensions or <laughs> promoting or anything like that if they're going to go out on a supply run and throw themselves from burning vehicles to explode on your enemies, you can do stuff like this, like just hooking them up to blood bags and brushing it aside with the fact that they're all cancer ridden. I mean, it's not the right thing to do, but this is a Morton Joe we're talking about. He's not a good guy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, The moral scale is different for Joe. It's lowered. It's very, very low. It's very low. Yeah. If Joe's moral scale was digital, it would just read out error because he's walked over to the moral scale and he's just tipped it in whatever way he wants and he's broken it so that it stays that way. <laughs> he listens to the metaphor of a moral scale and then he breaks you over his knee <laughs> because he doesn't like it that way. As Max tumbles out of this cage after being electrocuted, we get a black screen. Basically, he drops down, he hangs for a little bit, and then it's just black. So, nice catching up with you, Max. Good to see you're still around. While, while we're on, Max, I, I just want to say I like that, uh, you know, this isn't the first time we're seeing him, but uh, I like in the recasting of Max that they didn't try to go for something similar, really, because no one's really like Tom Hardy. And no one's really like Mel Gibson, for that matter. They do a good job of making it seem like, okay, this is, you know, with his backstory, he has the same backstory, same guy, but we're beyond that, this is a soft reboot. It's like, you get that it's the same guy, but then going forward, you know that like, okay, this is a new characterization. It's a, a new chapter. Yeah. Back out on the road, we start off with a nice wide shot, and that dang light in Gastown is still blinking away. I'm not even going to try and figure out what it means. I'm guessing someone just fell asleep and that mirror is just <laughs> wobbling around in all sorts of different directions. They're waiting for, to shove the corpse over and have a new one take hold, new person take hold. Forgot to cover it up with the cloth again. It's just dangling in the wind. Yeah. Who knows? Forgetful Pete. Terrible guy to put in charge <laughs> of the mirror. Yeah. So we cut inside the cab of the war rig and we see Furiosa again and she's looking around. And as we look in the rearview mirror, we realize that we're in a Bon Jovi situation. We're halfway there. (laughs) (laughs) And as these shots of the landscape roll past us, we're at a point of no return. This is the time where if Furiosa is going to start doing her plan, this is the time to do it. She's equidistant from two forces that would try and stop her from doing anything out of the ordinary. So if she's going to do something bold, now's the time to do it. And you get to see that work across her face in Charlize Theron's performance here. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's all silent acting. It's just, it's wonderful. I I love it. Do you think she's already decided what point on the road is strategically advantageous? She has a specific spot she's shooting for. Or do you think she's just knows generally, okay, I'm about halfway, steals herself and she goes? Or do you think she's waiting for, this is the spot that terrain allows me to do this? Well, that was making me wonder, why do it on the way there? Why not do it on the way back when you have all the supplies? That's a good question. Yeah, on the way back. As far as markers go, I don't see any markers on the road. I wonder, I just wonder, you were bringing up the Gastown uh, mirror. I wonder if she's reading that. Maybe there's something that she's reading them saying that 
gives her some sort of uh, when that Furiosa chick gets here, I'm sure gonna hold her. Oh. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah maybe, maybe she was planning to do it on the way back, but then she read something there and was like, oh, I have to do it now, or I, I don't know. Well, real quick, I think you bring up an interesting idea, the idea of when you go off the road. Right now, she's hauling water, food, and mother's milk. Mm. And if you're going to go off rogue, sure, you could do it once you've picked up more gasoline or once you've picked up more ammunition. But if you're going for longevity, it makes sense to me to leave while you have the food and water. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because once she gets rid of the war boys, it's just her and the wives. Yeah. So in theory, you'd want to have as much sustenance yeah. as you can. And I think you can assume she knows she has enough gas in the gas tank to get where she needs to go. But getting back to the choice of to turn off here, I think we find out later on when they're in the canyon, when they're doing the trench run there, that Furiosa has somehow made arrangements with the rock riders where she's going to go through this canyon, give them the fuel pod, and then they're going to close out the canyon behind her. So I mm -hmm. think the pathway to that canyon is this turnoff that she's coming up to. Mm. Mm -hmm. So I think the look on her face is a combination of, okay, this is the moment of truth, and okay, here comes my off-ramp. Mm -hmm. Like, we're not going to have physical off-ramps because those have all broken down over time. We're not mm -hmm. going to find overpasses and off-ramps and on-ramps like we have in the past. She just knows, okay, if I'm going to go to this specific place, now is the time to turn off. So does she have that all in her head, do you think? Like she just, she's the Imperator Furiosa. She knows all the roads and all the pathways. Oh, absolutely. Yes. I think those Imperators are kind of like London taxi drivers. They just uh -huh. know all of the paths, mm. all of the different ways to go. Yeah, there's no maps. There's no compass. You just yeah. got to know. You got to do like we do in New England here. Sometimes you jump in your car and you see a road and you're like, I wonder where that dumps out. So you just take the road and you follow all the twists and turns and then you see where it comes out and you're like, okay, now I know because there are no straight roads in New England. And speaking of straight roads, this road kind of boggles my mind. And I know people who live elsewhere in the world who do have straight roads, they're probably like, oh yeah, this is, it's a road. It's from A to B. That's it. But in New England, that just doesn't happen. Yeah. That just doesn't exist. And this road is weird to me. That there aren't trees and hills and rivers. Turns! The fact that there are no turns. It is a straight road from A to B. It's weird. Down <laughs> <laughs> in the desert, nothing in the way. Might as well just cut right yep. through. <laughs> Shortest way. And I do also want to point out that before she turns off the road, we're going along with the truck and we get this gorgeous shot where the camera is being held just above the road. And you can't see anything else. Although I think you can see... The lead car. I think so. And we're just going up and down the gentle slopes and just hugging the ground. It's so beautiful. Mm -hmm. We saw this movie on my 25th birthday when it came out. Oh, really? Yeah. Is that long ago? Yeah, in 2015. <laughs> <laughs> Almost four years. Wow. And it blew my mind. Uh, and uh, one of the things I liked, and I think seeing this scene and seeing this, these trucks and, and vehicles... This was the first Mad Max movie I saw, actually. I hadn't seen any other ones before. I've seen them now. But these look like vehicles that child Murin would have made out of Legos. And that's like, just my heart grew three sizes, just based on the design. And then there are other things too. But yeah, the design is so cool. And I just like, they, they look like, yeah, like um, I would build a truck and then like, well, let's just like stick some stuff on there. And that's what they do in this. It's just like stuff all over the vehicles. Hmm. And I, I absolutely love it. 
I love that you bring up the idea of Lego. Obviously, when this episode comes out, the Lego Movie 2, the second part, has been out in theaters for a while because it's coming out in February. But as we're recording it, it's still January. And so all I can really speak to is the sets that are coming out. But there are a couple of sets from the second Lego oh, yeah. Movie that are straight up Mad Max inspired. Yes. Mm. Yeah, they're, they're definitely playing off of it. There's the That's whole pretty, Apocalypseburg I mean, thing. Yeah. I'm excited for that. Now that you're hearing this, it, it was great. Yes. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna <laughs> say, I've seen it now. It was great. Everything was awesome. Everything was awesome too. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Everything's still awesome. So as Furiosa approaches this point of no return, she doesn't say anything. She just shifts the truck into a different gear and turns the wheel and the whole thing just goes off to the left. And as I was prepping this minute, I'm like, I feel like turning left is a significant thing in another movie. And I was racking my brain trying to think of like, where do they make a huge deal about turning left? And it was from Zoolander, which is why I brought it up before this week. (laughs) The climax of that first movie is Derek Zoolander finally turning left so that he can do Magnum. Turned left. (laughs) (laughs) It's very interesting that that's what you thought of. I, of course, thought of Road Warrior, where Max does a similar move. He's flipping a Yui, so he's going all the way around, but pretty much the same thing. They do a good job making a left turn look very epic (laughs) and very meaningful. (laughs) Yes, they do. Well, the war rig is huge. Like anything that truck does is going to be epic. Mm -hmm. One thing's for sure, I feel for the two escort motorcycles because the rig suddenly starts to turn and they have to lay on that rear brake to slow down and their back wheels are skidding around. It's like, I've done that before. It's not fun. It's not my preferred way of slowing down. (laughs) <laughs> I feel bad for the lead car that is just going along doing his thing, yep. thinking that everybody's behind him <laughs> and they just, they're gone. You know, it's like in a store when the pair of us are walking along and you stop and look at something, most likely it's vice versa. The other one just keeps talking, but they're walking away. Mm-hmm. I feel for the lead car. <laughs> well, see, they probably don't have a rear view mirror, you know. I, uh, I would imagine they, they don't bother with that in these cars, so they might not no. notice. No. They are supposed to have a lookout, though. That guy sitting on top oh, yeah. is supposed He's to be paying chilling. attention. He's just chilling, though. Yep. Too yeah. relaxed. He's not going to catch on to what's going on until next week. Yeah, so. They're going to be like, damn it, Kevin, this is what we prepared for. <laughs> Kevin the war boy. Yeah. <laughs> but that pretty much brings us to the end of the week. Uh, if anybody has anything they wanted to throw in about the movie, now's the time to do it. Uh, I, I just wanted to say as a sort of a conclusion, this movie is my sauce and I think it's honestly one of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. I second that. Like I think like definitely of this, of the 21st century, but I think of all time, honestly, mm-hmm. it's uh, groundbreaking in so many ways. It does the sort of action movie thing better than almost anything, any other movie it's because it like, as he sort of talks about uh, George Miller talked about blending there's sometimes movies have action and then they go to the talk and then back to the action. And he's like, let's just do it all at once. And that's <laughs> like, that's what he's, that's what he's talking about is just uh, making it into one thing that the narrative is the action and it looks great. It gives me feels and it's marvelous. Hmm. Jessa agrees with yeah. a single, a single Tom Hardy grunt. Yeah. <laughs> that's appropriate. appropriate. Mm-hmm. Mern and Jessa, why don't you tell the nice people once again, where they can hear more of you? Yeah, as before, uh, we, you can find us at Point Break Minute 
where we hang out with the crew, uh, Bodie, Utah, mm-hmm. Tyler Ann, and uh, Angelo Pappas. Mm-hmm. In addition to uh, Roach and uh, Nathaniel and Gromit, <laughs> which are uh, very uh, Mad Maxi names. I think we talked about that when you guys are on. They, uh, mm-hmm. I love it when character names have a certain onomatopoetic mm-hmm. sense to them, as they do in Mad Max, or just literal sense in Mad Max, like the organic mechanic. But yeah, uh, Point Break Minute, check us out. I also uh, have announced, in a limited sense, uh, my next project, which will be podcasting a quarter movie at a time, which mm-hmm. is going to be an exploration of the Fast and Furious series. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think that's I remember seeing that. fun. I'm very, very excited to do that. We're, I'm, I'm not going to go into another minute-by-minute treatment because uh, it's just too daunting to do um, do that. It, that would take you know a good decade of my life to get through all those movies easily, uh, minute by minute. And there's and they're <laughs> making more as we speak. So I just can't quite do that. But I want to explore them, and uh, we're going to do it a quarter movie at a time. Appropriate, absolutely. Appropriate, you know, because yeah. I live life a quarter movie at a time. Quarter mile <laughs> And I'm very excited to get into that. And uh, we'll be sort of running up, I think, I'll have to check the release date to the spin-off movie, Fast and Furious Presents, Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> which uh, I'm both ironically and unironically excited for. Mm-hmm. Which is a sort of a distillation of my feelings about the franchise as a whole. So I'm very excited to get into that. I uh, don't have uh, all the plans in place yet, but it's going to happen. Sounds good. We'll keep an eye out for it. Mm-hmm. Well, it's a podcast, so we'll keep an ear out for it. Yeah. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I'll get my metaphor straight one of these days. <laughs> <laughs> As for us, with Furiosa taking this show off the road, we'll see Ace try to figure out what's going on and then pass along the new plan to the other war boys. Such is life for middle management. But then it's back to the Citadel to catch up with Morton Joe and his sons who are inspecting their milk harvesting operation. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for MadMaxMinute, and join our Facebook listener group, MadMaxMinute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com, where you can see what's in our Tee Public store, join our Patreon, or even donate to the show to help us keep the tanks full. Thank you for joining us for Minute 12 of Fury Road. We'll see you next time.